evening. So we're going to be reading from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Thanks, Bryn. Hi, everyone. It's uh, good to be here again with you this evening. Uh, I'm CJ. Uh, I want to add my welcome. If you're visiting us here at St. Stephen's tonight, uh, it is great that you are here and you're able to join us as we spend some time uh, in these last few verses in the book of James. Uh, Let me pray for us as we uh, have a think about this passage now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to meet together tonight as your people. We pray that as we spend time in your word, uh, that through your Holy Spirit, you would use these words in the Bible uh, to encourage us, to grow us, to change us, to help us live more for you. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, Well, this evening, uh, I want to begin by telling you the story, the true story of a man named Frank Jenner. This is uh, Frank on the screen here. Uh, Frank was a gentleman who lived in the rocks in Sydney uh, for many years. He was someone who prayed regularly and deeply for a whole host of people that he met as they came through the rocks. And so every day uh, from about the late 1930s, for a period of almost 30 years, Frank would hand out uh, gospel outlines to people as they came past where he was in the rocks. Uh, His aim was to hand out a gospel leaflet and have a short conversation with at least 10 people every day. And then he would later pray for them. And it's estimated that over that 30-year period, he had conversations with and prayed for uh, somewhere around 100,000 people. Isn't that incredible? Uh, A couple of years before Frank died, uh, there was a Baptist minister, a Baptist pastor over in London who over a few years had been hearing over and over again stories from people that he came in contact with who had been converted to the Christian faith or who had been challenged in a significant way to grow in their faith by this guy they had encountered in the rocks in Sydney. And so at one point when he was on a trip to Sydney, this pastor decided 
He wanted to see if he could track down this, this street evangelist that he'd been hearing about uh, in recent years. And uh, he managed to, to uh, find out who Frank was and track him down. And they met. And this pastor was able to tell Frank of the incredible impact that his faithful, that Frank's faithful ministry had been having. Uh, to share with him stories of people who had been converted to the Christian faith or who had grown in their faith because of what Frank had done. And apparently, as, as Frank sat there hearing these stories, he was just crying tears of joy. You see, for 30 years, Frank had been handing out these gospel outlines. He'd been faithfully praying for the people that he'd met. And yet, in all that time, he wasn't aware. He had never heard of any stories of anyone being converted to the Christian faith or growing in their faith as a result of what he'd been doing. Now, that's incredible commitment, isn't it? It's an incredible prayer life that he had, praying boldly and deeply and consistently, trusting that God would act to bring others to faith or to grow them in their faith, even though over those 30 years he hadn't been aware of any results. And as we hear a story like Frank's story, I think it's a reminder to us of the incredible power of prayer. And yet I think for, for many Christians, if we, if we take the time to slow down and consider our own prayers, our own prayer life, I think a story like Frank's challenges us a little bit. The reality is that, that I suspect for the vast majority of us, myself included, that we don't have the, the kind of prayer life, that kind of commitment to prayer that someone like Frank has. We don't have that kind of boldness in how and what we pray. Uh, in my experience, many Christians feel that we're probably not as prayerful as we should be. And I suspect that one of the key reasons for that is that if we're honest, we don't really believe that our prayers will make that much of a difference. Deep down, we don't actually think that, that our prayers will really change anything. And the result of that, it, it means that our prayer becomes perhaps a token gesture to others. Uh, maybe we say to a friend, I'll pray for you this week. But actually we know often we kind of forget about that. Maybe we never really get around to it. Or, you know, thoughts and prayers, whatever that even means. Maybe a prayer simply becomes a way of us just checking in with God without really expecting much to happen. You know, it's more about giving God little bits and pieces of life updates from us. This is the reality for, for how many Christians pray. Perhaps you, you can reflect, and there are elements in that that you know are true for you. 
so often we, we just don't see prayer as being all that important or effective. And so as we come to these, uh, these final verses in, in James's letter tonight, I'm hoping, I'm praying that we will come away convinced that prayer is essential in the life of every believer. That prayer is an essential part of a faith that works. Uh, So let's take a look at what James says. I encourage you, have Bible open, have the passage in front of you there. That will be really helpful for you tonight. Uh, Let's get into it. Let's have a look and see what James says here. Picking up James 5 verse 13. James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. James is saying here something that in many ways is very simple and yet at the same time is actually really important. He's issuing a reminder to Christians to pray in all circumstances. And he gives us some examples there. He says, are you in trouble? Is there any difficulty in your life? Then pray to God. Are you happy? Is there goodness in your life? Then sing songs of praise to God, which we might say is another form of prayer. Are you sick? Then call others to pray for you, for your physical and spiritual health. Now, a quick note here, I think it's worth saying, if we look at verse 15 there, verse 15 seems to be saying that if we pray with enough faith for someone who's sick, it seems to be saying that they will be healed. And yet, that doesn't really match with our experience of life, does it? It doesn't even really fit with what we know to be true, necessarily, of God's character. But actually, this this type of language about prayer is not out of place in the Bible. Uh, We might think of Jesus himself in Matthew 17. Uh, He's talking to his disciples, and he tells them that if they have enough faith, their prayer is able to move mountains. So this kind of language exists in other places in the Bible. And I think the idea here, these kinds of big promises about answers to prayer, they're designed to give us confidence in what happens when we pray. They're designed to give us boldness in how we pray to a God who can do all things, to a God who hears our every word. So James has given a a range of life circumstances here. And do you notice, in each case, the appropriate response is some form of prayer. We know from our own experience of life, don't we, that life is unpredictable. It's regularly changing. You might reflect on your own life, a series of highs and lows. But for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, amongst those highs and lows of life, the constant is how we should respond. Whatever life throws at us, whether it's the ecstatic joy of something amazing 
or the deep despair of tragedy. We're to bring it all to God, whether that's in praise or prayer. James is saying here that there's, there's no situation in life in which some form of prayer isn't relevant. He's saying it's always a good time to pray. And that's because prayer is, is so foundational to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I think the, the British theologian, the British author Tim Chester, uh, he expresses this idea really helpfully. Uh, have a look at what he says. He says, prayer is the conversation of friends. Uh, it's not a mere convenience for letting God know what we're thinking or what we want. Prayer is that for which we are made. It's not possible for us to say, I will pray or I will not pray, as if it were a question of pleasing ourselves. To be a Christian and to pray mean the same thing, and not a thing which can be left to our own wayward impulses. It is rather a necessity, as breathing is necessary to life. In other words, prayer is a part of the definition of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who knows God through Jesus Christ, and to know God is to converse with him. That's helpful, isn't it? To be a Christian is to be someone who lives the whole of our life in relation to God. And a key part of that is regularly talking to God through prayer. And so here in James 5, James is showing us how that might happen individually in the highs and lows of life. He's showing us how that might happen through the leadership of the church in times of sickness. But he also explains that praying should happen amongst one another as the community of God's people. Verse 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We can see here, James views sin as a sickness of the soul, which needs to be healed. And here he's talking about Christians confessing sin to one another, sins that have been committed against each other. And if we think about what we've seen in James's letter, if you've been with us as we've been working our way through the book of James you might recall that, that most of the dangers, most of the sins that James has been warning against are actually communal, community issues. And so a key part of the solution to these problems, he says, is to confess these things to each other, to pray for one another in order for the healing of relationships to occur amongst God's people. And so again, this is another way in which God's people are to pray in all circumstances. But even if we pray more consistently, uh, even if we pray in a wider range of circumstances, we might still be wondering, mightn't we, how, how do we know it, it's going to do anything? How do I know that prayer is really effective? 
Well, James makes a, a pretty big statement, that second sentence there in verse 16. Have a look at what he says. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, when we read that, when we hear that, we, we might hear the word righteous and think that that's a, a bit of a forbidding word there. It might make us feel like, well, well, my prayers aren't going to be powerful and effective because I don't, I don't feel particularly righteous. And if we're, if we're thinking of righteous in the sense of perfect moral character and integrity, then yeah, absolutely, that, that doesn't fit for us. But that's, what, that's not what James means here. In fact, what James is saying is that ordinary prayers are powerfully effective. And he actually backs it up with an example. Let's have a look at that. Verse 17. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. James is using the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament as his example here. Uh, And if we were to read about the life, the ministry of Elijah, which we can do in in the books of 1 and 2 Kings, we might think that Elijah is a bit of an odd choice here. An odd choice for, for James to use as someone, as he says there, who is a human being even as we are. Because in so many ways... Elijah is nothing like us. Uh, If you don't know much about Elijah, Elijah is uh, someone who God performed some pretty amazing miracles through. Uh, The most famous probably of these, which we can read about in 1 Kings 18, is when Elijah confronts the prophets of the false god Baal and he challenges them to a contest. Uh, And the challenge is to see whether their god or his God, the true God, is able to bring fire on a sacrifice that each of them will set up. And in fact, Elijah is so confident that God is going to answer his prayers that he absolutely drenches his altar with water for even more dramatic impact. And of course, the, uh, the false gods, they, they can't do anything. There's no fire there. Whilst God answers Elijah's prayer and fire burns up his altar. So Elijah might seem like a a strange person for for James to use here. But it's not the miracles of Elijah that James wants us to focus on, but rather the prayers of Elijah. Because if we we look at those chapters in in Kings, and, and we read the prayers that Elijah prays, we'll notice that Elijah isn't an example of amazing, perfect prayer, but is an example of ordinary but powerful prayer. When it comes to prayer, if we read Elijah's story, we'll see that he's someone who can rise to the heights of faith and commitment, but he's also someone who falls into the depths of despair and depression. Elijah is someone who can be brave and confident at times, but at other times he runs scared 
He's someone who can be totally selfless in concern for others. But he also spends time filled with self-pity. In other words, he's an ordinary person, perfectly ordinary. A perfectly ordinary person who's right with God. And it's his ordinary prayers that are powerfully effective. And so when we might think that that our prayer, we might wonder, is it really going to make any difference? When we we think that our prayers aren't going to actually change anything, we need to remember Elijah. Prayer makes a difference. Your prayer makes a difference. Uh, There's been a a Christmas advertising campaign uh, run by a US airline over... Uh, a whole bunch of years, over about, about the past decade or so, uh, where each year they do something really special for one plane load of passengers. And uh, a number of years ago, uh, they set up uh, an interactive video screen in, in one of their departure lounges uh, with what they called a virtual Santa. Uh, and it was designed that passengers could come up to the screen and have a chat with Santa and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it was a live video feed to someone elsewhere. And part of that was, you know, the Santa would ask them uh, what they most wanted for Christmas. Uh, They'd have a bit of a chat before they, uh, you know, got wished Merry Christmas, got on their plane and off they went. And so in the video, you can see people talking to the screen and, uh, you know, wishing, saying, oh, you know, I'd love an iPad for Christmas or a a new widescreen TV. Uh, You know, there's a dad there who thinks he'd be funny and so he says he wants a pair of new socks. Kids are listing the toys that they want, all a bit of fun, just a Christmas gimmick before they get on the plane. Or so they thought. What was actually happening was for that whole plane load of passengers, some of the staff of the airline, uh, while they were in the air on the flight, the staff went out and purchased and wrapped up all the things that had been wished for. And so you can see in the video when the plane lands and they go to collect their bags from the baggage carousel, instead of their bags coming out first, suddenly all these wrapped up Christmas presents come out. And uh, they look a bit confused at first, but then they start noticing their names on them. And uh, as people realise what's happening and and open their presents, uh, their reactions are actually pretty moving to watch. Uh, It's very, very clever uh, PR there. But there's a great camera shot. There's this one particular camera shot amongst everyone's reactions. For just a moment, it cuts to the guy who asked for socks. (laughs) And you can just tell, as he's surrounded by people, unwrapping their expensive new cameras and iPads and the 50-inch widescreen TV, that, oh my goodness, he feels a bit foolish standing there holding his pair of new socks. He got his socks. If only he'd known. If only he'd asked. Friends, James doesn't want us to make the same kind of mistake. 
The, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's real. Things happen. God answers. Honestly, it's, it's foolish of us not to pray more than we do. I assure you, I include myself in that foolishness. Wouldn't it be a great tragedy at the end of the day, knowing of all that God is able to do through our prayers, to be left clutching the equivalent of a pair of socks because we weren't bold enough or confident enough to ask God to do more. And so James, as he comes to the end of this letter, as we come to the end of our time in this letter, once again he urges us to live with a faith that works. Uh, Right throughout the letter, James has urged his readers that a genuine faith must have genuine implications for the way we live. Real faith is a faith that works. And we've seen throughout this letter that that has implications for the way God's people face suffering, for how we treat the poor, for how we speak to others, for how we view the future, and now for how we pray. And so as he rounds out his letter, uh, James moves us in one sense from listening to him as we read his words, as the person trying to keep us on track, to encouraging us to listen to one another. This is part of living out a faith that works. The last two verses of the letter there. James urges us as believers to look out for one another when we're spiritually wandering on the issues that he's written about. What does he say? Verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. He's not really thinking here or talking about theological, doctrinal errors. He's talking about ethical issues, issues of Christian living, the things he's written about in his letter. He's talking about departing from, wandering from the lifestyle that being a follower of Jesus requires. And he says that as brothers and sisters in Christ, as part of God's family, we're to do what we can, in love and and with wisdom, of course. But we're to do what we can to guide wandering brothers and sisters back to a life of actively living out the faith we profess. Not just in our words, but in our actions. And I think for a lot of us, this this kind of thing feels a a little uncomfortable, a little bit awkward, doesn't it? Because we don't like to get involved in other people's personal business. We don't like conflict. We don't want to risk a relationship or cause a fuss. 
But whatever our hesitations, if we consider each other brothers and sisters in Christ, then there's a reality that we have a a family responsibility to each other. So, friends, can I encourage us to pray, to be a community of people who boldly pray big, significant prayers, Uh, to be people who pray to our great God who can do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. Because our ordinary prayers are powerfully effective in the hands of our almighty God. Let's not be left wondering what could have been. Let's pray now. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we, as your people, we thank you for every good thing that you give us. Lord, we want tonight to thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for his life and death and resurrection. And that through him we can call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. That together we are united in Jesus, that we have been brought into your family. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit present in each one of us. That means we all individually and collectively can pray to you. Lord, we thank you for this reminder tonight that our ordinary prayers are powerfully effective not because we are great, but because you are great, God. And so, Father, help us to be a community of people who pray boldly, powerfully, and consistently. Lord, thank you that you hear our prayers and that you delight to answer them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our mighty Saviour. Amen.